Southern Baptist, but other ones that I have a relationship with or Grady does to pray for our extended family in Montgomery and, and their pastors. And also, as we've been doing for the last couple of years, we've been praying for an unreached people group, and uh, which I love that we can look beyond our borders and look what God's doing globally. So uh, this year, as a part of our global missions prayer each Sunday, we're going to emphasize um, individuals and people groups where our international missions board, who is our International Mission Center for Southern Baptist Convention, where they are already plugged in and doing the work, and we are going to pray for specific people by name and specific people groups by name where God is already working that we can actually lift up individuals that are a part of our association. And so today, for instance, we're going to pray for Simon and Sophia. That is not their real names. So you're going to hear different names. They mean like they live in a tribal area in Africa and their name is Sophia, you know, but they do that to protect their identity. So some of these individuals are in areas of persecution that we're going to be able to lift up. So I'm very excited. So each week I'll be getting on the IMB website to look for these different areas and individuals that we can pray for. And I'm very excited we can do that as a body throughout this next year. So I please ask you to stand as we open up with the reading of God's beautiful word. As we prepare to worship him in song and praise today, we're going to read for him Psalm 96, verses 1 through 9. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Let's worship him together. salvation 
cannot express truly how amazing those words are and that we can stand and rest in you as our rock and our redeemer, the one who is faithful and trustworthy. God, thank you so much that we can be in this room and bring honor and praise and glory to you through song, through prayer, through the word brought. God, we just love you so much. You are so worthy of all honor and glory and praise. Lord, we just come in this morning knowing that you're the source of all things. There, are, there is no other answer. Just as Peter said, Lord, there's, where else can we go? All life is in you. All purpose, all hope is in you, God. And that's why we're here this morning. We recognize that. We want to bring you honor and glory that you are due. And Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have each week as a body to come together and pray and intercede and to acknowledge you are the true source that all the things we need and offer and praise and glory go to you. And even times where we need you to intervene in situations of life, trials and struggle and pain and suffering and different situations, God, we cry out to you for you to intervene and be God. And so, Lord, we do that this morning. And, Lord, we just pray, first off, just lift up our brother and sister Lenny and Debbie Dixon as um, in the loss of their foster son, Rick, this past week, who's 46 years old and passed away due to complications from COVID. God, we pray that they can experience that peace that is truly incomprehensible, God, that they would experience your rest and your comfort and your strength for them and the family. God, they have fostered almost, I think, 100 kids over the years, and God, or more. And we just pray that as they come together this week to celebrate Rick's life and him being in glory with you, Lord, that 
some that may need just to experience your presence in a new, fresh, intimate way, God. We pray that your word, your gospel would go forth, that you'd be honored and glorified as they get together as family, even as they mourn and grieve in the loss of Rick, God, that they can come together and acknowledge your glory and that you're, again, God, that some of the kids may even, depending on where they are in their life and different situations of life, God, would either come to saving faith or just be experience a renewal of their faith to know you intimately, Lord. And God, in that same vein, we do week after week, we've come up here for nearly a year, and God, we continue, as you say your word says, continue knocking, continue asking. We cry out for your mercy on this nation. We cry out, for God, for you to continue, Lord. We cry out for, to eradicate this virus. Lord, we trust you through every situation. You are good, you're just, you're faithful, you're sovereign, you're over all things. But God, we continue to say, Lord, be merciful, protect us, Keep us safe from this and our families. It impacted my family over the holidays with my kids contracting it. And, Lord, it's just it's personal for all of us in some way or another. But, God, we look to you as our hope. We look to you as the one who is in full control. But we do ask and say, God, continue to work through this and allow it to dissipate, God, in Jesus' name. And, Lord, as we said, this, our nation is in a very difficult season right now. And, Lord, for us, I just ask want to lift up the body of Christ, the church of the United States. God, that we as your people, as your ambassadors, to be salt and light, your sons and daughters, God, we are to stand out. We are to be set apart. And I pray for each of us in this room as we're set apart and we're ambassadors here in the river region, God, we need you so much to fill us afresh, to give us insight and wisdom and discernment in our workplace, among our families, among our friends and social settings. God, that we would represent your kingdom well. And including on social media and everything else that we're a part of, God, I pray that you would guide and direct our thoughts, our words, everything that comes out, God, that we would, that the gospel would be in the forefront and that we as a nation, Lord, would look to you. And I just cry out to you, God, just saying, may your church rise up and may your kingdom be revealed and advanced in this time. And Lord, as we do each week, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for our extended family in Montgomery. And Lord, this week we lift up Pastor Kyle Searcy and his church, Fresh Anointing House of Worship. I've known this precious brother for over 20 years. God, we thank you. He's got such a pivotal role in this city of bringing churches together and influence and in the African-American community and bringing his churches together that are multiracial, multidenominational. God, he has such a specific role. And I just thank you for his heart. Thank you for his role in Montgomery. God, as he's even oversees dozens and dozens and dozens of churches in Africa, and he travels a lot, Lord, we just pray for his uh, protection, his strength, health, all that you've called he and his family to, for them here in Montgomery as they reach their community as well, Lord. Just bless, fresh anointing, bless Kyle, uh, Pastor Kyle. Continue, God, to draw him to yourself. Continue to bring him wisdom and discernment in what you've called them to do. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to pray for those across the world, God, and specifically as we do this morning, we pray for Simon and Sophia from the Wazulu tribe village in Malawi. Um, and God, we just thank you that you have saved these two individuals, Lord, in this culture, in this community. Lord, we just pray that Simon and Sophia's faith would be bold, that you would give them uh, discernment and wisdom on when to share, how to share, knowing that they're in a community that's primarily Muslim and they practice other African religions and practices. Lord, Sophia just came to the Lord recently. God, we pray that you, she would be growing in her walk with you. And as she goes between the village of Birmingham and the village of Dalton, we pray, God, for her that you would, again, let people in that community, in that area, God, see the difference that you make in a life. That Simon and Sophia's lifestyle, their behavior, their actions would be so clear and evident, God, that you're in control. And that other tribal people will ask them what's different about them, what happened to them. And then they have an opportunity to say, it's all about Jesus. And we just thank you that we can lift them up. God, thank you for your provision and your blessing. We ask you to bless the offering today that's given online and those that are dropped it off in the boxes today. God, you are so good, so faithful. We are such a blessed people. We pray you bless this offering for the advancement of your kingdom and for what you're doing here at Gateway. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for our shepherd. We thank you for Grady and his heart, his love for the word, his love to teach us, to love us, to protect us, to serve us. We pray you fill him afresh this morning with your spirit. Uh, we pray and know, Lord, that he has submitted himself to you to bring your word this morning. Have your way as you continue, God, to be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning, Gateway family. It's great to see you. This, there we go. Good morning. There we go. Good to see you this morning as we're awake on a cold morning. Thankful we can be together this morning. Once you find James chapter 5 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, James chapter 5, we're in the concluding section of James's letter, a section that is all about prayer and talking to God in all of life's circumstances. Today we're going to come to James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I want to tell you at the outset, these are the most challenging verses in all of James to interpret. These are the verses that have been debated over many, many years. These are verses that have been argued from people with different persuasions on it, and multiple people interpret this in different ways, even among people equally committed to the authority of the Word of God, the inerrancy of the Word of God, the inspiration of the Word of God. People who love Jesus and love the Word of God have come down in some very different places on these particular verses. For some reason, friends, what was very clear in James's mind, what was very clear to these early hearers, early receivers of this letter, is somewhat more muddled today for us as we try to understand what James is saying. As such, friends, I don't claim to have the perfect interpretation of this text. I have studied this text for two weeks. I have agonized over this text. I have read more on this text than any verses in all of James. And I believe there's some clarity to it. I believe there's some very important lessons for us as we go through that, but not everyone may agree with my interpretations on this, and that is okay on this. So I come this morning inviting you to join me in a journey through these two verses, as we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to make clear to us what is the meaning of this text, to make clear to us what he wants us to do as we live this out together. But I also want to ask as we go through this text together this morning that we would show much grace to one another, to brothers and sisters who may come to some different interpretations of some of the things that we will discuss this morning. Now, how's that for introducing a new text for us for the day, right? With that in view, friends, I do want to give us some encouragement as we think about this encouragement from the Apostle Peter. Because Peter was writing not about James's letter, but about some of Paul's letters. And I want you to see what he said, because I think it helps us this morning. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. In 2 Peter 3, 15, Peter recounts what Paul's been writing about. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So, He's talking about Paul's writing. So next verse in verse 16 here, as he, Paul, does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. Now notice this. This is Peter, the Apostle Peter, talking about Paul here. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. Okay? I hope that gives you some hope when you wrestle with some of the mysteries of Scripture. The Apostle Peter said there's things in the Bible that were hard for him to understand. So find hope, friends, as our little tiny finite minds are trying to understand how infinite God works and how infinite God has revealed himself to be. So if Peter had trouble understanding some things in Scripture, it's okay if we struggle with them as well. But there's a warning here with us as well. He says in that last phrase, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other Scriptures. Friends, the verses we're coming to this morning have been twisted and misused in so many ways across the years. And I pray as we dig into them, it will give us some clarity and some help in all these things, because there's much good coming from this. Verse 17, Peter continues, you therefore, beloved, knowing this, knowing this a warning beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So I want us as a church family to take care as we walk through this passage this morning, to seek God's grace and his understanding for what he has for us today. So looking to James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you. James chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the wonder of your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And thank you for the depth and the riches of what you reveal to us. So Lord, we come before you this morning very humbly, recognizing our own limitedness, just to make your word clear to us, to make your text clear to us, and Lord, to show us what it means and to show us how it changes each of our lives, not just individually, but collectively together as a family of faith here at Gateway. So have your way as we work through this this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So normally after we read and I have you sit down, I give you the main idea of the text. And I give you the main idea, and then we kind of go back through and work verse by verse through the text to unpack it. I'm not doing that this morning. We're going to do this a little bit different. Because of the challenge of this verse, and because there's so many different people who love Jesus who interpret it differently, we're going to do the exact opposite. 
We're going to walk through the text. We're going to study it together, much more how I would approach studying the text. And then we're going to conclude with what I believe is the main idea of the text and application points, I believe. But I want us to walk through, first of all, understanding the text together before we come to um, a conclusion on it. So to begin with, as we walk through a text, the first thing we look at is always the context. So much can be avoided in misinterpretation of Scripture and error if we just understand the context. So many mis- misapplications of Scripture come about when people take a single verse out of its context and then apply it to whatever they want to apply it to. So we need to understand the context here. So what is the context for these verses that we just read this morning? Quite simply, one word is prayer. These verses are all about prayer, how we talk to God in all seasons of life. We saw this last week. Go up to one verse before our text for this morning and look at what James has just said. Verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise, which we talked about last week was a type of prayer to God. So right before these controversial verses today, he's talking about prayer. What comes after the verses we just read? Go down to verse 16. This is for next week. And the prayer, sorry, verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So you got prayer bookending what we're looking at today. And what follows in two weeks are verses 17 and 18, the example of Elijah, the prophet, his prayers and how God moves mightily through prayer. So we're in the middle of a long section that's about prayer. So today's text in one word is quite simply about that. But today's text is about prayer in a particular situation. And what is the context? What is a season of life that needs prayer? We'll go back to verse 14. And the first question, is anyone among you sick? So the, sick, the situation in life that is needing prayer now that James is talking about is sickness, a type of trial, a type of hardship. But friends, this is where the debate on this text starts. You're five words into this verse, and people are already now dividing over what this word means. You're like, wait, it's sick. What is there to debate over that? Well, in the Greek language, the word literally means weak. So perhaps a more literal translation of this would be, is anyone among you weak? Let him call for the elders. Now, this is not what I believe, but let me tell you how some people interpret this. They believe that this weakness is not physical, but is spiritual. That this is a spiritual weakness that people have. That you're being weak in your faith or your walk with the Lord. You have a struggle with sin. You're feeling down. You're feeling kind of spiritually depressed. You're struggling in walking with Christ. Now, I don't think that's what this says, but there's an appeal to that because it makes all the other interpreting problems go away when you feel it that way. Because it quite simply, then this text becomes very straightforward. If you're spiritually weak, we'll call the spiritual leaders of the church, the shepherds. And they're going to come pray over you and they're going to teach you and you're going to be strengthened in your faith and all as well. That's the appeal of this because it really simplifies a lot of it. Now, friends, that is all true and good. If you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with doubt, if you're struggling to walk with Christ right now, you should call the elders and they, we would love to come pray with you and talk to you and help you walk through whatever your spiritual weakness is. That is all true and good, friends, but that's not what this text is about. How do we know that? Well, as you think about it, James is the earliest of the books written in the New Testament. So James is influenced by Christ himself, by what we see recorded in the Gospels. This word that we're talking about, the, the, the word weak, every time that word weak appears in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 100% of the time, it is always about physical sickness. So if you look at the context of when James was written, you look at his influence from the Gospels that have been all throughout this book. When this word weak is used, James would not have any reason to apply this in terms of spiritual sickness. This would be, in his mind, very much physical weakness, physical sickness, which is what the straightforward reading of this text would imply. So I believe, friends, we're dealing not with spiritual sickness, so there's application for us for a sermon for another day. This is about a physical sickness. Furthermore, most of the scholars say this is not like your common cold they're talking about here. This is a severe type of sickness, a sickness that is extreme, that could leave you bedridden or at home or near death. Now, why do people conclude that? Because it's not, are you sick, go find one of your elders and talk to them. It's to call the elders to come to you Presumably, the scholars say, because you can't go to them, so they come to you. And then in the very next verse, in verse 15, is if you're sick, there's a promise that you will be raised up. The imagery the scholars say is that you're being getting up out of bed because you have been healed on that. I think that's compelling. I don't think we can be dogmatic about that, but I think this is primarily talking about an extreme type of sickness or a severe sickness. So there's at the very beginning of this text. I believe the topic is prayer. The situation is a physical sickness, probably pretty severe. Now, before we move on, there's an important lesson here for us that I do not want us to miss, something that's easy for us to miss in our very individualistic American culture. 
And don't miss this, friends. This sick person is a member of a local church. This, this sick person is a member of a particular local gathering of believers. Look back at verse number 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Is anyone among you? James is speaking to the church. Everything's been written about is in the context of the church. James had no concept of just individual Christians kind of walking out their faith on their own and just doing whatever they want to do. This is about people covenanted together in local churches all throughout the region that James is writing to. He says, call for the elders of the church. Which church? The church that you're covenanted with. When you are sick and you're very sick, the place you should turn it's not bad, I guess, to call a TV preacher or to call someone else, but you should be calling the leaders of the church that you're already a part of, the church you were participating in before you got sick. is saying, I want my pastors, my elders, to come pray over me because I know them and love them and they love me. So an important lesson here for us before we move on, friends, is that you need to be committed to a local body of believers where you know the elders and where the elders know you, where you have a natural relationship to be able to pick up the phone and say, I'm homesick, and they're not going, who are you? But like they actually know you because you've been in community with them and living life with them before the sickness happened. So for those of you who are friends who are visiting Gateway, for those of you who are friends who are watching online, we want to encourage you. If God is leading you here to commit here, if you're online and not even in Montgomery, we want to challenge you to find a local church where you can belong and can be shepherd and have people who live near you who are spiritual leaders who can come pray over you when you are sick. We want to encourage you to commit and to join a community of faith. So back to our text, though, friends. The big idea is prayer. The situation of someone who is part of a local church is sick. So what is the response to the sickness? Well, the sick person is told to do something. And the elders are told to do something. So let's start with what the sick person is to do. The sick person is to do two things here. There's two commands in this text for the sick person. Number one, they're to ask the church elders to come pray for them. The sick person, severely sick presumably, is to ask the church elders to come pray for them. Verse number 14 again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. The word here for prayer is a general word for prayer. What the elders are to pray is not specified here. They're to come to the sick person to talk to God in prayer about the sick, sick person's situation. Now, presumably from this and from the context, what the elders are being asked to do is to pray for God to change the situation, for God to heal the sick person. We saw that last week, that it is not bad when we're in a trial to ask God to remove us from that trial. It is okay in faith to say, God, I'm sick. I'd like for you to heal me. God, I'm struggling in this. Please help me. We can go to God with everything. And so the elders are being called upon to particularly ask for God's healing over this person. This is important because the sick Christian is not called to walk out their sickness alone. They are called, they are commanded here to ask the church leaders to come to them so they're not alone and to pray over them for God's grace to be in this situation. There's a second thing the sick person is commanded to do here, and that's to confess their sins. To confess their sins. Look at verse 15 of this text today. In this one it says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he here is the sick person. If he, the sick person, has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay, we're now at our second big debate of this text, where other people depart over what this text means. This has to do with this part of the, sick, the connection between sin and sickness. Friends, like I read from Second Peter, there's people who misuse some of the harder texts to understand. There's people who misuse this text to say that if you're sick, it is because of a particular sin in your life. Friends, we deal with sickness because we live in a broken and fallen world and because sin does affect all of that, but that's not what this text is teaching. I have actually heard people say, oh, you have this type of cancer, it's because you have bitterness. If you confess the sin of bitterness, God will heal you of this. And they make these direct links between every sickness and a particular sin. Friends, that is not what this verse teaches. That is misconstruing this text. Friends, yes, we are body, soul, and spirit, and it is all intertwined. And what happens in our spirit can affect our bodies. If you deal with the sin of anxiety all the time, it can lead to heart issues in you. If you deal with sins of bitterness, yes, it can produce physical manifestations. We don't want to minimize that body, soul, spirit is all connected. And yes, Scripture does teach us that some, some sickness is the result of sin. Some sickness is linked to specific sin. Think when we do the Lord's Supper. We hear a warning every time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 Verses 29 and 30 tell us this. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for anyone who eats and drinks the Lord's Supper without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now verse 30 here. That is why many of you are weak, this exact same word for weak that we just saw in James, and ill. See, weak, ill is tied together here, and some of you have died. 
So there can be a connection. Here, there's a very clear connection that if you take the Lord's Supper in a sinful way, there is a direct link to sickness that people have encountered because of that. But friends, that's not always the case that there's a sickness-sin link. Jesus addresses this in John chapter 9, verse 2. In John chapter 9, you have the context of Jesus and the disciples are walking, and they see a man who was born blind. The disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. So you see, even at the time, there was this assumption, there was this wrong idea that, oh, this guy has a sickness, he sinned in some way to get it. What does Jesus say? Verse 3, as we carry on, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This guy would have gone crazy his life trying to figure out what sin he committed to lead to blindness if they're always linked. They're not. God had a purpose in this blindness, and it was not because of sin. So the sickness can or cannot be related to sin in our life, and James strikes that balance. Go back to James chapter 5, verse number 15. There's a very small, important word here at the beginning of this phrase. And if, that's a big word, if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Don't miss the word if. It's conditional. That means that some of the sicknesses may have a tie into sin, but not all of them do. If they don't all tie into it, what is James' point here? And I want to give you what I believe James's main idea here. James's command to the sick here is to redeem the time of your sickness. Friends, when you're sick, you're not able to go for a run. You're not able to get out and do everything you do. When you're severely sick, you have a lot of laying around to do as your body heals or as you're waiting on the Lord or whatever. James is saying redeem the time and do self-examination. Redeem your sickness. Friends, it's so easy for us in a time of sickness to lay there and just scroll, scroll, scroll mindlessly, to stare at the TV and channel click. He's saying if you're sick, do some soul-searching. Use the time God has given you in your sickness to search your heart and see if there's areas you need to repent of. Because friends, we all have blind spots. Psalm chapter 19, we saw some walk through Psalms, but Psalm 19 verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Friends, there are sins in my life that I don't even know about, and there are sins in your life that you do not even know about. Verse 13, he continues in the Psalms, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. So I believe what James is commanding us here in verse 15 is to redeem the time. If we're sick, don't just go mindless and just watch movies all day. Not that it's bad to watch a movie, but redeem the time and use the time to read the word and pray and ask God to search your heart and to show you unconfessed sin and to redeem that time to grow in godliness. And that's the exact reason why God allows trials. Back to James 1. This is part of our sanctification. Now in this, friends, before we move on, there's a second lesson here that's important for us that's easy to miss. If you think about the two commands given to the sick, to confess their sins to God, but also to call on the elders, I don't want you to miss one thing here. The initiative for both is with a sick person. The initiative for both here is with the sick person. Friends, I have heard people over the years in different cities I've been in get really upset with their churches. And you probably heard too, I was sick and the pastors didn't come. I was sick and the elders didn't come visit me in the hospital. I was at home and no deacon ever came to see me. You probably heard these things yourself. But notice what the text says here in verse 14. This is important. Is anyone among you sick? Let him wait at home until someone in the church notices and comes to you. No, but that's the way so many people act these days. The command is, if you're sick, let you, the sick person, call for the elders of the church. Friends, the elders here, the pastors here, the deacons here, we want to pursue you. We delight in pursuing. We delight in wanting to get nosy into your business because we love you and want to walk life with you, but we can't know everything. And so the initiative is not for us to be omniscient. We're not. Only God is. And so if you have a need The initiative is with you, the sick person, to contact the church elders to say, I need prayer, please come. Likewise, the initiative is with the sick person to deal with their heart and confess their sin, not to be like, well, no one's ever from the church come to ask me how my marriage is. No one's ever from the church ask me what I look at online. No one from the church has ever asked me about these things. No, the initiative in all these things is with uh, with the person to pursue God and to confess sins, to pursue reaching out for help when they need it. So back to our text here. The big idea is prayer. The situation is a church member who is sick. The church member is given two things to do here. They're to call the elders and they're to do some self-examination and redeem the time. There's also a command here for the elders, that the elders have a responsibility as well. And they have three responsibilities here from this text, I believe. So what do the elders do? Number one, they're to go pray for the person when they get that request. It's great that we have an intercessory prayer team, but there's nothing like, hey, we get a request for prayers, let's send the prayer team instead. We want the prayer team to be praying, but the elders themselves have a responsibility before God to respond to these requests and to go to the sick person and to pray over them. And what do they pray? Again, the context makes it pretty clear. Go down to verse 15. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, 
and the Lord will raise him up. They're to go in faith, asking God to heal the sick person. They do so, verse 14, the last phrase, in the name of the Lord. This is not just going and reciting Jesus' name in some magical way. The name of the Lord represents the power and the character of God. The elders go to remind the person of the character of God. The stuff we've sung about this morning, the faithfulness of God. They go in the name of the Lord, praying in the name of the Lord, calling on the faithfulness of God for his people, acknowledging that any healing that comes will come from God. So they go praying for the sick person, asking for healing. But there's a second thing that they go doing. They go anointing with oil. Look back at verse 14 here. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Here we go. Here's our third debate on this text. There are many interpretations of what this means of the elders anointing with oil. Now, at the outset, friends, this phrase to anoint with oil in the Greek is a general phrase. It's not specific to the church. It's a Greek word that means rubbing oil onto something. When the, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek, the word they used for the anointing with priests, when oil was put on the priest to set them apart for God's service, they used the same word anointing. But this was the same word in the culture. After you've been riding your horse and you get back to town and your horse had a long journey and you rub oil on your horse, it's the exact same word. So this word can be putting oil on the priest and this word can also mean rubbing down your horse after the hard journey. It can mean either one here. So this is a very general word just to put oil onto something. So with that in view, what does it mean here? Well, there's probably about four different interpretations of this. I'm going to tell you the three I disagree with first, just to be honest with you about how different people, again, these are people who love the Lord and are committed to Scripture, but come out of different places, and then what I think it means. And so again, we show much grace to people who think differently on this. The first interpretation that I think is wrong, but some people say this anointing was medicinal. That at the time, there wasn't all the medical care we have. So the elders of the church and shepherding people and caring people went not just to pray, but actually to practice medicine in a sense, to come bringing oil and to put it on the person, since oil can have healing properties. So the elders were doing a medicinal act to help bring healing even as they prayed. Don't think that's what this one means, friends, because the elders nowhere in Scripture are tasked with medical care understanding how to do medical things. If so, then we might convert room one in the gym building to the elder's massage parlor to come if you're having trouble and we'll pick the right oil and help you out. We're not going there because the elders know the word of God. They don't know human medicine. That's not what we are called to do. So the anointing here was not medicinal, though some people think it was. Sorry if that gave you a scarring image here of your elders helping you with a physical illness there. Second possible interpretation. Some say this is what you call sacramental sacramental, where this actually, the physical act actually somehow confers God's grace. So there's power in the act itself. This is more where the Catholic Church would fall on this one, that this is what actually brings God's grace of, and provision to the person. But friends, I do not believe that's correct. Nowhere in Scripture is God's grace dependent upon some physical thing being done. We don't, when we baptize people, the water doesn't become magical in any way, stretch, form, or fashion. The water is a symbol of a person dying to their old ways and coming, being raised to newness of life. I believe the same thing is here. The oil is not magical. It's not needed for God's grace to come. Friends, if God's grace has to come through a physical thing, it's not grace anymore. God's grace comes because God chooses to give it. Furthermore, in this particular text here, the only verb here is to pray. Anointing here is a participle. If you think about English, that means it's subservient to it. So the command here is to pray, and the anointing is a participle, not a verb. So there's not two commands here, pray and anoint. The command is pray, anointing goes with it as a subservient thing, a secondary action, not primary. So to say that this is sacramental makes that the primary thing which the text does not allow for. There's a third interpretation here, this one as well, and that is that the oil is actually not even oil at all. This is simply symbolic. It is imagery for us of a person being set apart. That in the Old Testament, the anointing of kings was done to set them apart. So this is just a way to say this person is being recognized by their church as being sick and needing care, and you're just being set apart, and we're using this Old Testament imagery to help you see that, and no oil is ever used. I disagree with that one as well, friends, quite simply because there's no reason from our text to find anything besides a straightforward reading of the text. There's many things James could have said if he did not mean putting oil on the person, but he picked the word that in the culture and in the scriptures means to put oil on the person. There's no compelling reason to drop the straightforward reading. So, so what is, I believe, the best interpretation? I believe this simply means putting oil on a person as a symbolic act of God's care for them. The anointing oil is the physically putting oil on the person, but as a symbolic act of God's care for that person. That's, again, how we'd understand baptism. Baptism is a physical immersion of water. We don't stand up here and just dunk someone in the air 
imagining water there. We're actually putting people in the water, but the water's not saving them. The water is a symbol of dying to Christ. Same thing here. We're putting on the physical act of oil on the sick person, not to heal them, but as a symbolic act of God's care for them. Because why do I believe that? Well, if you think back to the Old Testament, oil was used in the anointing of kings. When a new king was brought in, he was anointed. Why? Because it was a symbol of him being set apart. It was a symbol that showed that God cared for the king, that God had established the king. It was a reminder to the king and to the people that the king was set apart and established by God. Remember, James is writing to Jewish background Christians. This is his primary audience. When he talks about anointing, this early church would immediately have the imagery in their mind of the Old Testament anointing of the kings because they've come out of a Jewish background here. So I believe he's appealing to this image that they would have known about from their Jewish historical background to go, wow, if the elders anoint me, they're showing that I'm being set apart for God's care. So I believe James is trying to use that image with them. It's the physical application of oil to a sick person as a symbol to remind that sick person they are set apart by God, and they're being set apart by their church for special attention and special care. So the elders are to do two things. They're to pray, and they're to anoint as they pray. I think there's one more thing that the elders are called to do here. There's a little bit of inference from the text, but I believe it's consistent with the text. Number three, they're to talk to the sick person about their spiritual condition. They're to talk to the sick person, number three here, about their spiritual condition. Where do I get this from? Go back to the last part of verse 15. If he, the sick person, has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now again, the responsibility is to the sick person here. The command is to the sick person to redeem the time and to seek God about how they're walking with God. But this would also, I think, be very consistent because this is in the context of the elders coming to visit. If you think about the elders' responsibility to shepherd people spiritually, it would be very natural in a place like this for the elders to say, hey, as you've been laying home sick, what has God been showing you in your life? What is God teaching you in this sickness? What is it that God is revealing to you that you have sins you need to repent of? How can we encourage you with the word of God? How can we pray for you? What is God growing you in that you need us to come alongside you? So I think it's appropriate for the elders to talk to the sick person about their spiritual condition. So where are we in the text? The idea is prayer. The situation is a sick person, presumably very sick. The command to the sick person is to call for the elders, but also to do self-examination. The command to the elders is to go pray for the person, to anoint them with oil, and to talk about their spiritual condition. And when all this happens, God moves. Look at verse 15 here. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now, what does this mean? This is a very interpreted text, and we're coming to that one next week. But for a reason here, there's too much for us to address in five minutes in that text. But also, this ties in with the next verse, because this command to pray for the sick is not unique to just the elders. Yes, the elders have a special responsibility, but we're going to get to it next week. There's a command to every believer where it says in verse 16, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I want to dig in more deeply next week into what is actually being promised here. But I also want us to wait on this, not to frustrate you and drive you crazy for a week, but it will give you a week to chew on this and think about this. But I don't want us to miss the application of what we've already seen this morning and what we have so far. So I want to bring together what we've seen so far this morning before we tackle what is promised next week. And here's our main idea. So let's pull all this together. I've given you different interpretations, but here's what I believe the key idea of this text is. God calls us to be part of a local church where we prayerfully are involved in each other's lives. If you want an application of all that we've seen so far, I think regardless of how you view certain, some of the nuanced things, this, and even if you come out in different places than I do on some of the interpretation, I believe the thing we can all agree on from this text is God calls us to be part of a local church where we prayerfully are involved in each other's lives. For instance, this whole passage is built on the expectation of that happening. This whole passage about community of faith together in a local church where we know one another and are known by one another. This whole thing that we've said makes no sense apart from being with a group of people we regularly see, we regularly gather with, that we know and who know us. And so I believe the application for us, this is all about us being in a church together and praying for one another. So let me make some application to us for different groups, possibly even here within Gateway. So first of all, what's the application for those who are visiting with us, either online or in person? The application is here, don't just visit Come, commit, be part of it. If you believe in what God is doing here, come join us and say, I want to be known by this community. I want to know this community. I want to know the other members. I want to pray for the other members, and I want them to pray for me. So we want you to commit 
somewhere and plant yourself somewhere. And for those of you who are watching online, we know we're in a strange pandemic time and some of you need to be away and we get that and understand that. But as soon as you're able, we want you back in community because God has called us to be in community together. Well, how about for those of you at Gateway, second application, for those at Gateway who are sick, and some of you who are watching online right now because you are homesick, and that's why you have to participate online, I think the application for you is very clear. Let us know your needs. It requires some vulnerability. It requires some humility to open up and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, whether spiritually or physically, but to let us know what your needs are and ask for prayer. Friends, over the next three weeks, our elder team is meeting every Wednesday morning for the next three Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m. because we like the early mornings. Some of us on the teams like the early mornings. But we're meeting at 6 a.m. over these next weeks, and all we're doing is praying for you, the members of Gateway. And so if you have a need, you've got three weeks where the elders are doing nothing but praying for the body. And so go ahead and reach out to us before Wednesday and say, hey, I'm struggling with this sickness. I need prayer. Right? Even if it's a spiritual thing, let us know how we can pray for you. But then it's also if you're a Gateway person and you're homesick, this is a call to redeem the time. Let God grow you. Don't waste your sickness. What's that? There's application for visitors, for the sick here in the church. What's the application for the elders? Quite simply, it's we need to get into your lives. So brothers, we had a great meeting Wednesday morning. I'm excited about our next three meetings as we pray, but we have a call to get out of room one and to get into people's lives. We also have a calling to pray bold prayers, to not be timid. You look at what we're going to dive into more next week, this prayer of faith where the Lord raises up people. We are called by God to pray big prayers and bold prayers and to not be timid or afraid and asking God to do the miraculous because God loves to do the miraculous. So for the elders, this is a call to pray and to pray boldly. You may be thinking, okay, Grady, I'm a member of Gateway, but I'm not an elder, I'm not sick. What is the application for me as well? And I think this text has a lot of applications still for us, even if you're not an elder and not sick, because the day will come you may be sick and need to already know this. I think the broader application is, how are we praying for one another? Again, this, the focus of this verse has been on the elders, but we're coming to it next week in verse 16. Confess your sins to one another, not just to the elders, and pray for one another, not just the elders, so that you together, community, can be healed. And we have a calling to live this out together, to be so invested in one another's lives that we have people we can call when we're sick, that we have people who are checking in on us, not just about sickness, but about spiritual growth, that we need to be in each other's lives and praying. God calls us to be part of a local church where we are prayerfully involved in each other's lives. Friends, are you? Are you beyond Sunday mornings? Are you at a place to where you're in relationship with the elders and the elders know you? Are you at a place to where you're in relationship and community to where people know you and can come alongside you and ask you the questions? Do you have people you can call on when you're sick? That's God's plan for us, is to be in community together. And I pray he'll give us much grace to be a praying people who love one another well. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word has such power and application. And Lord, I pray that you would and your sovereign plan be molding us and shaping us into a people of prayer. Lord, you know how easy it is for us to be very self-sufficient in our pride and in our flesh. God, we confess so often we're prayerless when we need to be more prayerful. So Lord, even this week, would you stir my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters to make us a prayerful people, to where our hearts long to be in your presence, to where our hearts long to talk to you about all we need. And Lord, would you also this week be stirring our hearts to not walk this journey alone? but to reach out to friends we know who are struggling physically or spiritually. Lord, to reach out to those who need prayer and to pray for one another. Lord, I pray as well if there's people within our body who have been struggling with different things and afraid to speak up, that you would just remove the, the lie of the enemy that leads to embarrassment and they'd be willing to reach out. And not just to redeem the time of their sickness and their struggles, but to reach out as well and to ask for prayer so that we can know how to lift up one another. And Lord, we pray is that we do this, that we'll see you build up this body, that we'll see you glorify yourself, that we will see you moving in response to the prayers of your people as only you can. And God, we'll give you the glory for all that you do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
After all, you 
thank you that you do not forsake us, God. You never leave us or forsake us, God. God, we thank you for this opportunity that we've had to come into your house today, God. As fellow believers just joining in song, Lord, and just worshiping through the opening and reading of your word, God, and just singing praises to you, God, in this place, God. Thank you for us being able to freely do that, Lord, that we don't have to meet in secret like so many of our brothers across this world, God, and our sisters across this world. But God, as of right now, we don't have to worry about our lives being in danger for what we're doing this morning, God. So God, we pray for that persecuted church as they risk their lives, God, to do what we're doing this morning, God. May we not take it for granted, God. And help them to remember that, that God, you never leave us nor forsake us, God. You are sovereign over all things, God. And God, you are good. You are only good. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed.